things we're going to be based out of this morning. We will go ahead and start reading there. It says in verse 29, But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go, and do thou likewise. You know, this morning we're talking about this issue of fodlessness, and they're very like the fodless of our country is very like the, the, what it says in verse 30, how they've been robbed, they've been wounded, they've been abandoned. In some circumstances, they've been left to live a life of destruction or left to die, as you'll see with the statistics. It's a devastating issue. There's many around us. There's many individuals that are facing this issue. And I'm here this morning to testify how God brought me through it. And I'll share my story. You already, you already saw my story on the video there. And I, I get encouraged by seeing how you have a bus ministry here still. I, I, was, I was a bus kid growing up. My, uh, my mom's cousin and was a bus captain and invited us to ride the bus to church. We rode the bus to church as a family. And then we quickly started becoming part of the church. My mom, then we eventually, my mom became like, I think she became a bus captain or she was in charge of one of the buses or something like that, something like that. And we were on the bus. I remember riding the bus to church. And then I started, I was able to go to the Christian school they had. And I was able to be part of the ministry. And my wife was, actually her family was, uh, her dad was an assistant pastor at the church there. And so I married the pastor's kid, and I was the bus kid. And so it was, uh, it, but it was good. And, and, and do, you know, thankfully her mom allowed me to marry her. Her dad was the pastor, and he was a little strict. And so, but it, it was he kind of, I had to work my way through, and I, I got got a hold of the mom. You know what I mean? So she she got me through. But, uh, but it, it was good. And then I ended up working for my father-in-law um, down in Florida for six years. So I went from trying to get the bus kid at the church to marrying the pastor's daughter, and then I ended up working. So it was good though. But uh, God, God brought me through it. And I'm thankful for the bus ministry. I'm thankful you guys have that and you're able to do that. Because it's, it's not something that's you know, easy to do anymore. Um, it's, a, it's a changing, um, you know, culture has changed a little bit, but it's still cool to see people willing to do that ministry. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for allowing us. This morning I want to give you three things. Fatherless, the single moms, the grandparents raising grandkids, or if the Holy Spirit leads you differently, the individuals that are hurting around you. Because we all have, understand, we all have a circle of influence, okay? We're placed in a circle where, where there's co-workers, there's, there's friends, there's friends now, there's past friends, there's family members, there's neighbors that we live near, and they're placed right in our circle. And they're there for a reason, okay? God doesn't just put you somewhere for no reason at all. You're strategically placed where you're at. And in our circle of influence, there's hurting people, there's fatherless individuals, there's grandparents raising their grandkids, foster families, motherless kids, single dads, single moms, people that they want some help, they want some encouragement. And if you are a single mom today, if you are a fatherless individual today, if you are going through a situation right now, I want to encourage you, our ministry is about hope. 
We're not here to make you feel bad about yourself or anything like that. We're here to encourage you because you can, through the Lord Jesus Christ, make it through this. You can make it through anything through Jesus. You can make it through fatherlessness because God will be your father. He will help your kids. God will be your children's father. God will help you through it. God will fill the void of not having a husband in your life or not having a wife in your life. God will fill the void if you cling to him and help him or let him help you and trust him through it. So the first thing that you can do in order to help um, fatherless families or to reach fatherless families or to encourage these families or to hurt, help the hurting people that the Holy Spirit may be leading you to this morning is the first thing you can do is, is uh, reject apathy. Amen. Reject apathy. What is apathy? I, I, when I was in eighth grade, my uh, eighth grade teacher came to me and said, Sean, you have been apathetic. I said, I don't even know what that means. What are you talking about? What does that mean? He said, you've been apathetic. I said, okay. He says, that means that you don't care and you don't care that you don't care. And I said, you are correct. <laughs> he, was, he was talking about eighth grade science, and I did not care about eighth grade science at that point in my life, okay? I really didn't, and I still don't. But if you're in eighth grade, you should care about that. I didn't care about it. I really didn't. But I learned that day what apathy meant. I learned what it meant to be apathetic, and I realized, and I've carried that with me, and I've realized through my life times where I've been apathetic, where I haven't cared like I should. I, you know, I didn't care about, about the issues of, that were around me. Who in here likes to watch the news? Raise your hand if you like to watch the news. Okay? Who hates to watch the news because it stresses you out? Okay? So we got a mixture here. We have a mixture of people here. You know, you watch the news and one day coffee's going to, it's great for you, okay? You, you, it's healthy. Drink 12 cups, okay? That's what they say. The next day they're like, it's going to kill you. Stop drinking coffee, okay? You're going to die. That's what they, so every, and they're always having all kinds of mixed things on the news. They have, there's wars, there's crime, there's murders. We live in Jacksonville for, for uh, I lived there for six and a half years. And on the news, you turn on the news in the morning, uh, they were the murder capital of Florida when we lived there. No more than Miami. Can you believe that? It was crazy. But we, we lived in Jacksonville, and they, they said every morning on the news, murder on the north side, murder on the north side, every morning. Well, there was a murder on the north side on this street. There was a murder on the... And every morning, I'm not kidding, every morning. And I'm like, I'm glad I live on the south side. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was <laughs> terrible. It was terrible. And I'm like, that's stressful. That's depressing. You're hearing that all this, all this stuff's going on. And so sometimes you do like to watch news. Sometimes you hate it. Sometimes you don't want to. But I believe because there's so much going on, Satan can use that to keep us from caring about things around us because we come, become numb to it. And there's certain things that, 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 that God wants us to care about. You know, different business leaders tell you you need to make margin in your life and, and you should be, you know, there's this thing about minimalism, which is great. You need to learn how to cut things out of your life, which is fine, you know. But there's certain things you have to make margin for. You got to make time for. Amen. Such as things that are close to the heart of God, such as the fatherless. As a church body, as a church in the United States of America, I'm not saying this church, I'm saying as church as a whole, we have done a horrible job of ministering to the fatherless. We've kind of swept under the rug and said, oh, we're not worried about that. We don't have time for that. You know, and, and growing up, I, I, I saw it, and even t today, I go to churches, and I see, um, I just have single moms come up to me all the time, and they're, they're thankful that we came, because they're like, you get us. You understand. You know, nobody here understands. And I'm not, not condemning their church, but just, I'm just saying, because it's something that has been neglected. It's not a glamorous thing. It's a messy situation. They're messy messy situations sometimes. And, and it's, it, as individuals, we get attracted to things that are good-looking and happy, and, and we want to be around stuff that makes us feel good. And sometimes these situations don't make us feel good. So why would we go near them? 
We have to reject apathy and say, I'm not going to be apathetic. You look in these verses here. We see in verse uh, 31, it says, By chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. The, the, this man right here, this priest, was apathetic. Somebody that should have helped, he was apathetic. Verse 32, look what the Levite did. The Levite didn't just walk by him. It says, And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him. He's like, whoa, this guy, rough. Eh, oh well. And he kept walking. So he did. And that's what we do with this issue of fatherlessness. We either keep walking or we kind of look at it. And that's what we're looking at it today. We're looking at it through this message today. We're looking at it and then we're like, no, oh, it's okay. And we have a decision to make. We decide, am I going to help this person? God placed that person on your path for a reason. They're there. They're in your circle for some reason. And God wants you to reject apathy and say, okay, I'm going to do something. But Satan wants you to say, no, I don't care. I don't have time for that. We need to make time. Reject that apathy. Look what the Samaritan man did. He rejected apathy. It says in verse 33, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He said, No, I'm not going to be apathetic. I will not be apathetic. I'm going to do something. I'm going to care. I'm going to care for this guy that's right in front of me. You know, I grew up fatherless, and I'm so passionate about this issue, as you saw in the video there. And God brought me through it, but sadly, there's many kids out there that don't get that opportunity. They don't have those people that come into their life to help them and encourage them. I was blessed. And I, I don't take that lightly. I really was. And that's why I believe God, I believe God allowed me to grow up fatherless and then gave me the opportunities to be able to get through it because he wants me to help this next generation get through it. I really do. But he, I need you as Christians with me to go and do something. Go and be part of this. And we need to reject apathy about it. You know, and maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, why should I care? Well, because, it's, and again, it's the number one issue in your country. You know, there's so many statistics out there that, that say that fatherlessness is, is, is hurting our nation. It's, it's hurting these kids. It's hurting these families. But it's also hurting your communities. You know, issues such as crime. 85% of youth in prisons grew up in fatherless homes. 85%. I was at a youth detention center in Augusta, Georgia recently. 95% of the youth in that detention center came from fatherless homes. Why is that? Because they're angry. They're angry because their dad left. They don't know how to process that anger. They don't have a dad there to help them learn how to be a man and process that anger, process that, you know, the, the different aggressions that they might have and, and hone them in, right? You know, the 27 deadliest mass shooters, 26 of them were fatherless. Get that number. You know, these things affect us mentally, emotionally, right, when we see them on television, or we, we, with these issues such as um, crime with youth in prisons, that's affecting your tax dollars, it's affecting your communities when crime's happening, it's affecting you in one way or another. Of the 27 deadliest mass shooters, 26 of them were fatherless. 80% of rapists motivated with anger issues come from fatherless homes. 80% of them. Because they're angry, because, and also because sometimes th th with these issues of crime and stuff, because they go and find a family or a mentor through a gang. Down in Augusta, Georgia, that was the case. Many of the kids there that were in, in uh, youth detention centers, they were from a gang. Because they went to that gang to look for that, that you know, influence, that male influence. And there's, there's older guys in there that are like, hey, I'll help you out. Yeah, they're basically just slaves to the gang, doing all kinds of weird stuff. And then they end up in a youth detention center. And we wonder why it's happening because we as a church haven't come alongside them and say, hey, I'll help you out. I'll be part of this with you. I'll walk alongside this journey with you. 
I'll help you along my path. And we kind of just let them do whatever they want. And then once they do whatever they want, we're like, why are they acting like this? Well, because their life is off balance. And we as Christians could bring their life back into balance. You know, God set it up with mom and a dad. A kid's life is in balance. That's the way he designed it. But when mom or dad's gone, their life is off balance, okay? Their life is off balance. We as Christians can bring God into their life, make God the hero of their life, bring Jesus into their life, and we can help them bring their life into balance. You know, with, with gangs, their life, they, they try to bring their life into balance, and it just kind of goes like this. It does not help them in any way. And they, try to, they try to figure it out on their own. It doesn't help them. And so these, these, uh, these kids are just kind of doing all kinds of stuff. Issues such as homosexuality and gender identity. There's a guy in California named Dr. Joseph Nicolosi, and his job is to help homosexuals become heterosexual again. They go to him and say, I don't want to have these feelings. I don't know why I have these feelings. I don't want to have these feelings. Can you help me work through it? And he's quoted it saying, I've worked with thousands of homosexuals. I've never seen one who had a loving, respectful relationship with their father. Does that mean that every individual that is fatherless grows, that grows up is going to be a homosexual? No. Does that mean that every homosexual was fatherless? No. Just saying the ones that go to him and the ones that work with him are the ones they struggle with the relationship with their father. Dads, we've got to set it, step it up. We've got to be good dads. We have to be dads that are present. Not just physically present, but mentally, emotionally, and spiritually present. Let me say that again. You can't just be physically present as a dad. You've got to be mentally, emotionally, and spiritually present. There to nurture your kids and love your kids. We've got to care for them. We should desire to see our kids succeed more than we desire to have a great career or a great job or a great business. We've got to desire to see even helping our kids succeed as adults. I see oftentimes, I worked in youth ministry for many years, I see these people that, and I hear these parents saying, hey, my kid's 18, he's an adult. They're, they're an adult now. No. Help guide them. Don't just throw them to the wolves. Throw them out there. Help guide them along the way. See, a ton of kids fail because their parents are like, oh, they're an adult now, good, I don't have to deal with them anymore. Help them. And then they make decisions, and then because the parent gave up right, right around that age, the kids make decisions sometimes that are like, oh, now they're back living at home because of it. And now you have to parent them again. <laughs> I want to encourage you, keep going to the dad. Be there, be involved. Your kids need you. They need you to be mentally, emotionally, and spiritually present in their life, nurturing them in those three areas. Helping them, not just being physically present as a dad. You know, if we did the numbers, honestly, if we did the numbers of, there's over 30 million fathers, but if we did the numbers of the individuals that have a dad in their house, and we get a ton of people that come up to us when we go and speak, and they come up to us and say, I had a dad in my house, but he was, he was, I, was, I was basically fatherless. And if we did the numbers on that, it would be over 100 million people. Because there's a ton of people that had horrible fathers. Because dads, let's just be honest, we're being selfish. Pursuing our, our own selfish wants and desires and over our kids. Your kids is one of your greatest callings in your life. Being a Christian, being a husband, and then being a father. It's not easy. It's not easy to be a Christian. It's not easy to sometimes be married to each other. When you're, you take a husband and a wife and you stick them in a house together, two totally different people, you're going to have some struggles, okay? There's going to be some problems sometimes. When you, have, when you have kids and you're trying to figure out being a, being a dad, especially if you didn't have a dad or you had a horrible dad trying to figure it out, but our job is to figure it out through God, and God will help you through it. You know, this issue of teen pregnancy, you know, the, the abortions and stuff that's going on in our country. A white teenage girl from an advantaged background is five times more likely to become a teen mother if she grows up in a single mother household than if she grows up in a household with both biological parents. 
Why do I give the statistic on a white teenage girl? Because I got tired of hearing everybody telling me that this is not in our neighborhood. This is not, this is, this is especially in the African-American community. You know how many times I've heard that? This isn't, I don't care if you're white, black, if you're, you know, if you're a Asian, whatever. It does not matter. It's happening in your community. It's happening around you. Might not be talked about as much, but look at the statistic of a white teenage girl. It's happening all around us. It says a white teenage girl, because that was the excuse I would get from when I would go to talk to pastors, and they had a predominantly white church, and they would say, well, it's not here. Yes, it is. It's there. You're just blind to it. It's not happening around you. You don't see it around you. It is happening around you. It's going on. Education. And, and let me go back to teen pregnancy. The reason why this is happening is because girls are looking for security in the wrong places. Okay? Dads provide security. And if you're not there mentally, emotionally, and spiritually for your daughter, they're going to look for that, that, that nurture that they need from somewhere else because they need it. They hunger for it. They desire for it. And they need that security. And if you're not providing it and loving on them and telling them they're worth something and providing that worth to them, they're going to look for it somewhere else and there's going to be boys out there they are going to say, I'll give you security. Not the security they need. It ends up oftentimes in premarital sex and, and, and abortion. You're like, you're talking about this on Sunday morning? Yes, because you need to hear this. We all need to hear this. And so abortion's happening and oftentimes then also if they keep the baby, which is, they need to keep the baby. Abortion's horrible. But if they keep the baby, the grandparents oftentimes are helping raise the grandkids and it's turning into, a, there's a high divorce rate amongst grandparents raising grandkids because of the grandfathers are saying, I don't want to be a parent again. I've already done my time. I want to enjoy the rest of my life. I'm thankful my grandparents didn't do that. Tell you what, but if you are, and if you are a grandparent raising grandkids, keep going. Those grandkids need you, even if they're a little brat like I was, okay? They need you. They need your help. They need your encouragement. My grandparents, they, they helped fill the gap in my life. Education. In studies involving over 25,000 children using national representative data sets, children who lived with only one parent had lower grade point averages, lower college aspirations, poor attendance records, and higher dropout rates than students who lived with both parents. You know, when they don't do good in school or finish school, oftentimes, a lot of times we're seeing in our society today, they're relying on the government. Who does that affect? That affects you. That affects your tax dollars, okay? That affects your economy. That affects your, your communities. Suicide. Three out of four teenage suicides occur in a household where a parent has been absent. You get that number? Three out of four occur in a household where a parent has been absent. And then the last one, fatherless children are at a dramatically greater risk of drug and alcohol abuse, um, mental suicide, I'm sorry, mental illness, suicide, poor educational performance, teen pregnancy, and criminality. Notice what it said in there about mental illness from fatherless homes. That's from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, saying that, that because they didn't have a dad, they, they suffer from mental illness. And a lot of times we, medic, we just medicate because of it. We're like, hey, here's some medicine. Sometimes they do have a chemical imbalance. They need some medication, sometimes. But oftentimes they just need somebody to love them and mentor them and guide them down a right path of success. And we as Christians, just look at these numbers. If you would step into one person's life, I'm not talking about you going and reaching all 30 million. Go and reach one. If you go and reach one kid around you, you can maybe save a kid from, help save a kid from committing suicide, 
having an abortion, maybe having a teen pregnancy, maybe from grandparents splitting up. You can help, maybe they won't commit crime in their neighborhood, maybe add to the youth detention centers or even the overcrowded prisons in our country. Maybe they'll do better in school and they'll get a job someday. Maybe you'll help them not have mental illness. Maybe you'll help them not be a drug addict or alcoholic. You can save a kid's life by one person. Or coming alongside a single mom and helping her as she raises those kids. Or helping that grandparent as they try to raise them. We all can do something about this issue. We all can help with this issue, but we must reject apathy. The second thing is we need to remit compassion. Remit compassion. Let compassion flow through you. You know, the ultimate picture of compassion is Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Okay? What was that joy? That was Jesus seeing, seeing all these people that were going to go to heaven when they died. Jesus seeing all these people that were going to have hope on this earth. Jesus seeing all these people that were fatherless that were going to have a heavenly father if he died on the cross for them. Picture that. Because God will be their father through Jesus. He loves them and cares about them. God, for God so loved, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Yeah, because he sent his only son. Why did he do that? He sent his only son so that he could have many sons and daughters. Mm -hmm. God wants a big family. He really does. He wants to have many sons and daughters, and he was willing to sacrifice his own son for that, to redeem humanity. And if we trust in him, and I want to encourage you today, if you've never been saved before, and, I, and some, you know, sometimes in churches, that, that people have gone to church for a long time. Sometimes there's people in churches that they have never really understood the truth of the gospel. The Bible says that you need to realize you're a sinner. For the wages of sin is death. Understand your sin leads to hell, okay? Sin is the things you've done wrong. You've lied, you've stolen, you've cheated, you've done something wrong. Your sin separates you from God. For the wages of sin is death, okay? And it separates you from God, and you're going to go to hell when you die. But it says in the Bible that we get to go to heaven through Jesus. And the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, okay? The Bible says that. If we trust in Jesus as our Savior, He's going to give us hope. And so we, we need to realize we're a sinner, realize our sin's going to lead to hell, understand the only way to heaven is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, understanding these things. And understand also that you have to call upon Jesus to save you. You don't just, all of a sudden, you're a Christian. The Bible, the Bible tells us, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There must be a time where you made a decision, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, there, I had a youth leader in my church in Pennsylvania. It was a country church. And he was already there. He was helping with the youth group. And they brought us in to, to help. We were just volunteering. We weren't on staff or anything. And they wanted us to kind of help the youth group along. And, and I asked this one youth leader that was already there. I said, hey, man, share your testimony with the youth group. And just in front of them, I thought that he had, he had a testimony to share. And he said, he looked at them, looked at me, and he said, I just have always gone to church. That's not what the Bible says what it means to be a Christian. This building's not going to save you from anything, okay? It's not going to save you. It's not going to lead you to heaven. Just by coming to a church doesn't save you. Having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is what saves you. And I'm not condemning that guy. He just has never, he had never accepted the truth, never trusted in Jesus. I want to encourage you, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus with your life, make that decision today. What are you waiting for? If you have, if you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior, I want to ask you, what are you doing with it? Are you letting that compassion flow through your life? Have you, have, you let, have you accepted God's compassion and let it flow through you to others? Because that's what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. But oftentimes we cap it off and say, good, I don't have to go to hell when I die. Who in here has ever heard of Spider-Man? Like, this guy's talking about Spider-Man? Yes, I am. Spider-Man. Who's ever heard of Spider-Man? Raise your hand. 
What did Spider-Man get bit by? A spider, okay? He was able to, and then Spider-Man got bit by a spider, and he's able to shoot what? Webs. So he's able to shoot webs. So Spider-Man got bit by a spider. He's able to shoot webs. Now picture this. Spider-Man goes home. He sits down in his living room, okay? And he's like, this is great. I, have, I can shoot webs now. And he sits down, and he, he looks across the house, and he sees the refrigerator in the kitchen. And he shoots a web over to the refrigerator and opens the fridge, and then he shoots another web, pulls himself, what do you, call it, you guys call it here, a pop or a soda? What do you call it here? Soda. Soda. Okay, we call it pop where I was from. I could have called it soda. So he goes and shoots a, shoots a web into the fridge and, and pulls a soda out of the fridge, brings it to himself, and he sits there and drinks it. He's like, this is great. And he's watching a movie on TV. He's like, this is wonderful. I love it. He's having a good time. He's like, I don't have to stand up anymore. Okay? Then he goes outside, and he's like, I've never been able to dunk the ball before. He goes out to his backyard, shoots the web up to his backboard, pulls himself up, and dunks the ball in the butt. He's like, this is amazing. What a horrible Spider-Man movie that would be, right? I mean, come on, let's be honest. Because Spider-Man's not using his powers to do what he's supposed to do. Spider-Man's supposed to be out fighting crime. He's supposed to be out there um, saving people and helping people. And that's the same thing with us as Christians. We get the compassion from Jesus. We accept Jesus as our Savior. This compassion is supposed to flow through us to other people. But instead, we keep it to ourselves. We say, good, I don't have to go to hell when I die. And we keep it to ourselves, and we don't share it with anybody else. And we have, But the thing is, when we get saved, we're given these powers and these abilities from Jesus, all these promises that God gave us through Jesus, and we don't, we don't use them. We don't use them to help us witness to other people. But instead, we're supposed to be out there shooting webs and saying, hey, I'm going to give you a little compassion. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. I'm going to give you a little compassion. I'm going to love on you. God loves you. He cares about you. We could be helping save this world through Jesus if we would just go and be used by him. But instead, we're like, no, I'm good. I don't have to go to hell. What a waste. And we're supposed to, as Christians, be laying up treasures in heaven. And oftentimes, we're like, well, it's the pastor's job. No, that's not what it is. It's your job. You're a Christian. You get to go to heaven when you die. You get to have a personal relationship with Jesus. You get to go and help people around you. And if you help people around you, it's going to help grow the church. It's going to help make disciples. It's going to help evangelize people. It's going to change their lives. It's going to change your communities. And this is the amazing thing that you can do for the fatherless because it's going to help them understand that God will be their father. And they won't fall and oftentimes fall into these statistics that I've just shown you today. Let compassion flow through you. Maybe you're still thinking, well, why do I have to have compassion? Because God cares about the fatherless. The Bible talks about the fatherless. He says in Exodus 22, 22, you should not afflict any widow or fatherless child. He says in Job 29, 12, because I delivered the poor that cried and the fatherless and him that had none to help him. He says in Psalm 68, 5, a father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God and his holy habitation. This is in his word. He's saying that I care so much about the fatherless and in my holy habitation, I'm their father. And so you're God, if, you, if you're a Christian, you're trusting in Jesus as your Savior, you're God in his holy habitation. He's a father to the fatherless. Does he care about them? Yes, he does. Should we care about them? Yes, we should, because he cares about them. What God cares about, we should care about. It's our responsibility. But how are they going to hear if we don't tell them about him? If we don't go to them and be, help the ones that are in our circle of influence that he's placed right in front of us? Psalm 146.9 is another verse. It says, The Lord preserveth the strangers, he relieveth the fatherless. How are they going to relieve, relieve the stress and, and, and trials and struggles that they're facing if we don't go and tell them and help them? 
I want to encourage you. Think of the fatherless families around you and go and do something for them. James 1.27 is a great verse. It says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the fathers to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep themselves unspotted from the world. This is the simple answer to this problem in our country. It's the number one solution to the number one problem in our country. This is the cure, okay? The cure to our country's problem is for us as Christians to go and visit the fatherless. If you love the United States of America, if you are like, I just love America, I'm, I'm so thankful to live in this country, you will do something about this issue. Because the number one thing is hurting our country from within. It's pure religious practice, the Bible says. This verse says, it's a, so, you know, you look at this verse and we're, 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 we're like, wow, it's a pure religious practice. What does that mean? It means that it is a, it's a pure religious practice, it's a pure religion. It's way more important than any man-made tradition we've ever made for Christianity. You know, we can make up traditions of how you should do church or how you should live as a Christian, and, and we have a lot of those in the United States of America. Let's just be honest. And I'm not condemning them. It's okay to have standards. It's okay to have stuff like that. But we need to, when the Bible says something, it's a pure religious practice. That's way more important than anything we've ever made up as men. It's more important for us to focus. So we, what we should do? What should we do? Focus on the fatherless. It's a pure religious practice for us to visit the fatherless. What's it mean to visit them? It means to look upon in order to help or to benefit going after them and encouraging them, spending time with them. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a one-time thing as a church or as a Christian to go and focus on the fatherless. So it's a purely just practice for you to visit the fatherless. And then it says, and widows. As a church, we do help widows. We should help widows. We should focus on the widows. But when you look at the root, the Greek of that word, it's not talking about just women who've, who've lost a husband due to death. It's saying in the, the Greek root of that word is talking about women who've lost a husband due to death or abandonment, if you look it up. They've been abandoned by their husband. That's single moms a lot of times. They've, they've walked out. My mom often felt like she had a scarlet letter placed on her whenever my dad walked away when I was a kid in, in our church. And our church was great, but she walked around feeling like she had a scarlet letter on her because she was labeled as a, a uh, divorced single mom. Her husband walked away. She never even signed a divorce paper. My dad moved back to Las Vegas. They didn't even have to, they didn't even have to, the, the other spouse didn't have to sign anything when you moved to Las Vegas. He says, I'm done, I'm out of here. But she was looked at, looked differently because she still had a husband that was living. And she used to say, I wish my husband would have died because I would have been treated better in our church. Let's not treat single moms like that. Let's try to come alongside them and support them instead of judging them, do something for them. Help them along the way. Encourage them along the way. And this is a pure religious practice. And this is true compassion that God wants us to have. Now the third thing is, we need to react with a plan. I'm not traveling all over the country in an RV and camping even though I don't want to, okay? For you to say, oh, I feel bad for these little kids. It's like that commercial with Jackie Velasquez, okay? She's singing that song, in the eyes of the angels. You know what I'm talking about? That puppy commercial. You ever see that puppy commercial? And these little dogs are sick, and these little puppies are staring at you, and they're crying, and you're feeling bad for them. Did you ever see that commercial? Where did you have you seen that commercial? Many people have. It's on TV. They must have tons of funding. I wish I had their funding for our ministry. But anyways, it's, it's, you know, they have great things. Anyways, most of us turn the channel, right? Because we're like, I don't want to see that. I don't want to feel bad for dogs. I'm not talking about, this is not about dogs. This is about real human beings. And I want to encourage you not to just have compassion or reject apathy about it. You know, we've got to react to the plan and go and do something, okay? Go and do something about this issue. Be, be caring about this issue. Actually willing to, to re, reject apathy and say, I'm going I'm to go and help these kids out. You know, who in here likes to watch, who, who likes to watch movies in here? Raise your hand. Who, who's ever seen a movie before where the, uh, 
It just ends. The guy's in a coma, and the movie just ends. You're like, did he, did he come out of it? He, they're, in, they're in war. They're in a, a battle, and then it just ends. And the credits start rolling. They're, they're falling in love, and they make it married, and it just ends. It's like, what? Did they get married? What happened? And so the, the credits roll, and you sit there and wait for 10 minutes to see if there's an extra scene that's going to come, and it never happens. You know, the next week, your life is wrecked because you're thinking about, I wonder what happened. I wonder what happened. Did they ever, did whatever happened with them? Did he, did he die? I don't know. And your, your life is wrecked. You're struggling with it. You wait for five years for a sequel to come out. It never comes out. Okay? It never comes out. You're thinking that maybe the answer will be in the sequel. It never comes out. Every time it plays on television, you're thinking there's going to be a different ending this time. Right? It never does. Same ending. And you're still thinking out these things in your head. It never, it's never, never helps. It's just the movie people. Calm down, okay? Calm down. It's complete opposite from every Hallmark movie ever made, okay? Every Hallmark movie ever made is so predictable, okay? They're, a guy or a girl moves to a small town from the big city. They have a boyfriend or girlfriend that's an attorney in that big city, but they go back to the small town. They find that cowboy or cowgirl that they used to love or fall in love with them, okay? Their job is to save a cafe or a factory or something that's failing, and they're like, we're going we're gonna to do it. At the end of the movie, they finally work out their issues. They fall in love. She breaks up or he breaks up with that, that person from the big city. They fall in love with that small town boy or girl. They save that cafe. They save that factory, right? That's a Hallmark movie right there. All the same actors and actresses in every single one. I can't stand them. I hate Hallmark movies. I'm just going to be honest with you. They drive me crazy because they're the same thing. My wife was watching one the other night and I could hear it. And they were talking about, oh, the, uh, oh you're going to save the end? You know, the, I'm like, yes, there it is right there. The end was going to be saved. I'm like, I didn't even say anything to her. I'm like, because she loves Hallmark movies because they're clean for the kids and she, she likes them. It's fine. Who in here likes to watch Hallmark movies? Raise your hand. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about Hallmark movies, you know, I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the unpredictable ones, the ones that you don't know what's going to happen in the end. You don't even know what's going on. You don't know what's going to happen with the, the ending of them. And you're like, man, what, what happened? I never know what happened. I'm thankful, I'm thankful that this passage here, Amen. that this passage here didn't just leave us hanging. Imagine if it said in this passage here in verse 33, but a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Okay, imagine if it ended there. And it just skipped out of the next passage. And it was the next thought. And it said in verse, verse 40, but, uh, but, but uh, I'm sorry, verse 39, she had a sister and called Mary, I'm sorry, verse 38, and now it came to pass as they went. And that he entered into a certain village. You'd be thinking to yourself, well, what did he do? That he had compassion, what did he do? Because as Christians, we're not called to just feel bad for people. We're called to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. And continue that story on. Okay? We shouldn't be like one of those horrible movies that just ends. We should keep it going and finish the story. If God places somebody in front of us, we keep going. You know, the, the priest and the Levite, they, let the, they just ended the story right there. They didn't care. It was done. Samaritan man, he kept going with the story. And Jesus here gives us what the Samaritan man did, but he also gave us a formula of what we can do to help the hurting people around us. Look what he did. The first four words are, are the key to it. It says, and went to him. And went to him. You know, you as a, a, a Christian, I want to encourage you, you as a, an individual in here that's listening to this message, and they say if you don't do something within the first 48 hours, you probably won't do anything. So the next 48 hours, I want to encourage you, whoever God, the Holy Spirit's leading you to, don't ignore it. He's giving it to you for some reason. Go and do something with that. Maybe start praying about it. Start making a plan. 
Start contacting them. Reach out to them. Write them a message on Facebook. Text them. Write them a letter. Call them on your rotary phone. I don't know what you have, but call them. Contact them in one way or another. Do what you can. Email them. Whatever you can do. Start the process. Start the plan. It says and went to him. The Samaritan man had to just walk over to him. He started the process. And you have people around you that you should start the process to. Walk over to them. Be part of their life in some way, one way or another. Start it. And then look what he did here. And bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. He used his own resources to help him heal. He used his own vehicle. He used his own resources to give him lodging. He took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. He even took care of him when he was going to be gone. Now, I know what some of you are facing right now. The devil's telling you, you don't have the ability to do something for the people that are hurting around you. He's lying to you right now. He does that. And he's done that over the years to keep Christians from doing something about this issue. He doesn't want you to go and help the hurting people around you. He doesn't want you to, to encourage them and help them. He doesn't want you to. He really doesn't. But we have a responsibility to go and do something and react with a plan. It doesn't have to be an extravagant plan. It doesn't have to be an expensive plan or a time-consuming plan. Just be willing to react with a plan. Use whatever resources and, 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 and energy and, 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 and uh, money, whatever you can do, use it. And I guarantee you, God will bless it if you're helping the fatherless. He cares about the fatherless. He'll provide joy to your life. He'll provide help. He'll, he'll, he'll replenish your resources. I guarantee you, he will bless you in one way or another. This is not a prosperity gospel thing. This is just saying that God cares about the fatherless, and he will provide to make it happen if you're willing to go and help them. He wants them taken care of. You know, I'm thankful I would not be standing in front of you today if it wasn't for the people I talked about in the video. How I said my grandparents came into my life, and I had youth pastors and youth leaders and stuff like that. My grandparents came into my life, and in second grade, I moved in with them. They started working with us right after my, my dad walked away. My mom moved into another house. My, I lived with my grandparents. My pap passed away when I was in sixth grade, leaving my grandmother and I. A 60-some-year-old lady and a 12-year-old boy living in a house together. Got a little awkward sometimes, okay? I watched enough Young and the Restless and Bold and the Beautiful to last me a lifetime, okay? I'm just going to be honest. Grandma was awesome, but she had some weird stuff she watched on TV, okay? And, uh, but she ended up, she watched Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan with me, and we had a, we had a good blend going on. And I, I knew, but I knew what was going on in the soap operas. I'm just going to be honest. I knew what was happening. You get an education from those shows, okay? But, but anyways, um, I had my grandma, but I needed some male influences to come into my life to help me learn about being a man. I had a youth pastor then. I was a mess. I was about... 12 years old when my pap died, or just about to turn 12, and I was 13 when my youth pastor came to our church, and I needed him. God knew I needed him. And he showed up at our church, and he started, he had just adopted five small children from ages of kindergarten and down. Mm-hmm. But he was willing to help my sister and I. And he didn't, it wasn't any formal thing, he just invited us over. Let us go on little mini vacations with them, and, and he took me camping for the first time. 13 years old, went camping for the first time. Went mud in his truck. It was awesome. Helped him, then I helped him uh, switch his engine out after he ruined it mudding, okay? And I got to be part of that with him. 
He became the senior pastor eventually of our church, and there was other youth leaders in our youth group. One guy was Brian. He liked to go hunting. Who in here likes to hunt? Brian had the hunter's eye, okay? He was good at it. He took me, took me to my first hunter, took me to my hunter safety course, got me, gave me a gun to use, got it sighted in, gave me the, the clothing I needed to wear, the stuff I needed to go, got me the gear I needed, took me hunting with him. And Brian was really good at hunting. Like, he could see deer from the side of a mountain driving down the highway and point up there and be like, there's a deer up there. I'd be like, that looks like a rock. Okay, that's what I thought. I, I didn't know. I, I couldn't. I wasn't good at it. I really wasn't. I was 15 years old. And I'm, so I'm hunting with this, this guy in the woods. We're up in the woods this one Saturday. I think Brian probably already had gotten his deer. I was terrible at it, but he wanted to take me. And so he's looking down through, through this brush in the woods, down through this mountain in Pennsylvania. And he says, Sean, there's a deer down there. He said, pull your gun up. And so I pulled my gun up, I, I uh, got the scope on it, I finally found it. He said, shoot it, shoot it. And I went, bam, shot the gun, scope nailed me right in the nose, okay? I'm bleeding, I start crying, the deer walks away laughing at me. Horrible situation, okay? Horrible. Brian goes to church and tells people about it, okay? It was embarrassing. Embarrassing. You know what I remember more than the, the pain and the embarrassment from that is the fact that this guy took, was willing to take me hunting with him and do something with him that he was good at. And the reason why I tell you this, because there's things that you're probably good at. You probably know how to cook, you know how to hunt, you know how to work on cars, you know, work on computers, you know how to work, whatever, you can fix houses, whatever you can do. If you're good at something, invite somebody else to come alongside you. Don't let your skill and ability die with just you, okay? Teach somebody else. If you're gonna go fishing, bring some kids along. You know, if you're gonna cook something, cook some extra for the single mom down the road or the grandparent raising grandkids. Tell them, let them know what's going on. Be a support to people that are around you. It doesn't have to be this complicated thing. The devil tries to lie to us and say, hey, you, you, this needs to be a program. This isn't a program. This is about building relationships around you and helping people. You know, after being a pastor, I, don't have, I realized I didn't have time for another program. But if, if the people in our church would get involved in going and building relationships with the people around them, the impact we can make in our community is way bigger than any program or any event that we could ever put on. I want to encourage you, be the hands and feet of Jesus to those that are around you. God's placed people in your circle of influence that we may never meet as in the ministry, but you know, and you can bring them into the church, and they can get discipled, and you can work with them and help them and encourage them. You can do this. I had another youth leader that was a, uh, he had an open-door policy at his house. And my grandma, she said, I, I would go home um, whenever I was younger, before I could drive, and she would say, FFY. She'd be in the living room watching Wheel of Fortune, right? She's ready for bed watching Wheel of Fortune. And she'd say, FFY, I've been fend for yourself. You know, and she cooked one night a week. And, uh, and Wednesday nights, I didn't miss Wednesday nights because that's when Graham cooked. The rest of the week, it was either cornflakes, okay? Graham had a really high select of cereal, cornflakes and Cheerios, okay? That was about it. And then she also had tuna fish and Campbell's soup. And the only two kinds, well, sometimes we got vegetable beef. But the other times, we had Campbell's soup. We had noodle, not double noodle, just regular chicken noodle soup and potato soup. And I learned to love those things, okay? But that's what Graham, Graham had in her house. And that's what we had, peanut butter and jelly, those things. And I, I, I ate well, if you know. But anyways, I was fine. When I could drive, I would go and find food for myself. You know what I'm saying? I went home for Graham's cooking on Wednesday nights. The rest of the week, I'm not eating cornflakes, okay? Let's just be honest. So I would wait around at my future, future wife's house, um, and I'd see if her parents would invite me in. And she lived right, right at the property of the Christian school there. And usually they would say, um, good night, Ticey, and it'd send me home. And so I would, okay, well, fine. And if, and if I wasn't working that night, because usually I would go over to uh, the place where I worked to eat, but if I wasn't working that night, I would wait there, and then otherwise I would go up to the youth leader's house, Robin Murray's house. 
they had an unlimited supply of Doritos, Mountain Dew, and, and uh, Oreos, okay? Packs of Oreos, packs of them. That's a supper right there, right? Can, can I get an amen? I mean, Oreos, Mountain Dew, and Doritos, okay? Amazing. And so when you're hungry as a teenager, that's better than cornflakes. I'm just going to be honest. And so I'm like, okay. And I'd go up to their house, but I got to see, as I was with the youth pastor and with the youth leaders, I got to see them as married couples, as Christian married couples, as Christian parents. I got to be around them. And, and that was invaluable to me to see that. Just by inviting some kids into your life, you don't have to make some program out of it. Just let them be around you. Learn from you. Don't make it awkward. Just be yourself, you know, and be you. As long as you're a good Christian, you know, you're serving God, be yourself around them. The last one is about to close is Jim and Deb, okay? I said about Jim and Deb in the video, and I told you how they're like grandparents to my kids and stuff like that. Well, I met Jim and Deb at lunch on a, uh, one Sunday afternoon. I got invited to go with some friends, and this couple was there named Jim and Deb, and I asked them, I said, hey, do you have any work you can, I can do at your house? We came from a pretty low-income family, and and I was always looking for work. I had lawn jobs in my neighborhood. I shoveled snow. I did different jobs myself, but I was looking for more. And so I asked them, hey, do you have any work at your house? And so I started working for them. I pulled up to their house in Pennsylvania, and they had they owned 98 acres on the side of a mountain in Pennsylvania. I remember pulling up to their house and seeing their house and being like, wow, I've never seen anything like this. This is incredible. And I walked into their pool room. They had an all-glass enclosed pool room with all sliding glass doors, and that had a, a roof that was was arched like this, and there was a key on the side of the wall. You could turn the key, and the roof would open up. And I remember standing there being like, wow. Like, I'd only seen things like that on television, okay? My first job was to, and Deb was a doctor, and Jim was a businessman, so they had, you know, had some money, and, and my first job was to clean their pool cover. And then I started laying mulch around the property and weed-eating and doing different jobs for them. I started working for Jim's business across from his property. He had air machines and vacuums in and, and, uh, three states, and, and a bunch of them he worked on, and, we, and he had car washes and stuff like that. And I would go and work for him after school. And when I was there, one of the most important things I ever did, and it, it, was, ended up, it was supposed to be a job, but it ended up being why well, I became like part of the family. Jim would call over to the shop and say, hey, Sean, clock out and come over to the house for dinner. And I would walk over there, and I would sit down with him and his wife and their daughter, and we had conversation. Dad would talk about things of being a doctor that day. Jim would talk about things of his business. We would talk about school. We would talk about stuff. And I'll tell you what, I quickly became part of the family. Became like a son to I stopped explaining that entire story. I just said, Jim's my dad. And he could tell people, I'm his son. And I want to encourage you, you can do that for somebody else. To this day, Jim's like my dad. They're still like parents to me. They love me and they care about me. And they care about my kids. They care about my wife. And you can do that. Maybe you're thinking, well, I don't have the energy to do that. Well, start off just being like a Robin or Lori where you can just, they can just come to your house. Or start off being like a Brian where they, you take them along with you. Start off being like my youth pastor where he was willing to let us come alongside and go, he took me camping for the first time. Give some kids some experiences that you have that they would never experience otherwise. You can change their life through this stuff, and it's so simple. And you can help them and encourage their, their parents and the grandparents raising grandkids through this whole thing. And look what Jesus said as we close. It says, and look, look what it says here in verse 36. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. You know, probably somebody at some point or another showed you compassion. They showed you love. They showed you that you could, you're worth something and you could be something. And that's why you're here today. 
Maybe it was just God showed up in your life. Are you willing to pay it forward? So many of us as Christians, we're like the priest and the Levite. We're like, good, we have this. I'm doing good now. It's good. I keep it to myself. But if we could find more people to be like the Samaritan, where he's like, I know I have, I can, I can, I, I have things from, from God. I know I can, I can do things, but I'm also willing to help others. If we could give back, go and help and pay it forward to someone else. Imagine the change we can make in our nation. We can make in our communities. We can make in your own family. You know, maybe there's a niece or a nephew or someone around you that could, that could use some help. Go and do something today. React to the plan. Would everybody please stand with your heads bowed, with your eyes closed?